Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings, everyone. Happy uh, on Sunday now. Sunday, December 3rd here in Indianapolis. Uh, Michigan has won its third straight Big Ten championship with a 26-0 Shutout over the Iowa Hawkeyes, a sloppy game, uh, not fun to watch in a lot of areas. But at the end of the day, covered the spread. You out Iowa to Iowa. And this was, uh, again, defensively, A++. Offensively, I mean, you can go ahead and put a grade on it. We'll talk about all of it here. But, Ryan, you're – and let me just say this really quick. Uh, don't look this up, but I'm pretty sure Tony Petiti just ran the fastest laser time 40-yard dash in the history of this stadium. Don't look it up. It's it's unverifiable. Just take my word for it. He gave the trophy to Zach Zinter and got the hell out of there. So, um, coward's way out, so to speak, if you want to call it that. But Ryan Van Bergen, uh, as we sit here now just after the clock striking midnight on this game, on the regular season, on the eve of the college football playoff being revealed your initial thoughts on this game what an effort by the defense and special teams most especially to get this win and not have a a fall off after arguably one of the biggest michigan ohio state games that we've ever had and one of the most impactful games that we've ever had even though it's a big 10 championship game i think it'd be very easy for michigan to come in here without maturity or leadership and not get up not get momentum early in this game, allow Iowa to hang around longer than what they should have um, and make this a game. But credit to the Michigan team, the Michigan defense specifically. I think the defense just played out of their minds. Uh, But credit to these guys and their leadership and their maturity for being in this moment and having the composure to beat a really solid Iowa team that is good, at least defensively and on special teams. So, um it's they are completely in the driver's seat with some of the things that transpired today. And uh, I'm sure there'll be some people waiting to see what happens on selection Sunday, but Michigan has their ticket punched and all signs are pointing towards. We will be the number one seed as we enter this college football playoff, which will be a new position to be. But it's one of those things that I don't want to move on to the playoff just yet and enjoy this win and be excited about where we are as a program. A three Pete is just huge, huge, big deal. And uh, so I want to enjoy that, but uh, I guess we'll take till the the end of tonight now that it's Sunday to enjoy this win and then look forward to where we're going with the playoff. Yeah, this is uh, familiar territory for us now, obviously the third year in a row that you and I have done this show uh, after a big 10 championship. And the first one was the first one was finally you got over the mountain. And the second one was, all right, that's great, but there's bigger fish to fry. And this one even feels more so like that. Um, you know, Michigan didn't play its best game on offense, Defensively, again, you know, what have we talked about so often this year is that when you have a lopsided advantage in a certain area or in a few areas, that's what it's supposed to look like. And Iowa, 130th ranked offense in the country, and they looked every bit of that, but Michigan made them look every bit of that as well. So we will talk about that. We will reset, uh, you know, as the dust settles on Championship Saturday, talk about what the playoff field might look like, where Michigan stands. We'll get to all that. 
Uh, before we do that, I want to talk to our friends from Homefield, uh, talk about our friends from Homefield. Of course, Homefield is based out here in Indianapolis. I had a pop-up shop set up at the convention center. Uh, we love those guys. You guys know about them at this point. Promo code Wolverine23 will get you 15% off any customer's first order with Homefield. And again, uh, we've talked about this so many times you know it's it's a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of indianapolis the heart of big 10 country right uh they have a commitment to creating incredibly comfortable officially licensed apparel with vintage designs there's a growing collection of over 150 schools to choose from whether you're a michigan fan or you're a central michigan fan or an eastern michigan fan whatever it is an iowa hawkeye fan maybe you're here um you know, they've got something for you over there. I've said several times, I've got a closet full of this stuff. I feel like half the things I packed for this trip to Indianapolis did come from our friends at Home Field. So again, uh, we love working with them. Uh, they've been a tremendous friend and sponsor uh, of our show. Promo code Wolverine23 will get you 15% off your first order. Uh, we will start on defense, Ryan, because, you know, as we as we said, um, you know, Mike Sainer still wins a Big Ten championship game MVP. He was everywhere. Again, when you need a timely play, that's been the guy. Uh, yeah, I think he had a couple forced fumbles uh, on the night, wins the championship game MVP. This guy in this game two years ago was a wide receiver. And now all of a sudden, when you look at what he will likely leave Michigan as, I mean, he's a guy that's every bit as important as and Aiden Hutchinson was, or a David Ojabo was, or, or those guys early on in this thing that helped turn this around. And, you know, this night is about a lot of things for Michigan, but I think tonight we can kind of start with this being a celebration of, of just how critical he's been for this team. Both in the way that he impacts the game as a player, and then I think the things that we don't see and the things that he does and is to this team as a leader. Uh, when he gets a microphone put in front of him, He's just so well-spoken and seems like he has such a cool and even-keeled approach to how he plays the game and how he plays the game with his teammates. And, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like I haven't seen someone that's this impactful as a nickel defensive back since Tyran Matthew, the honey badger back at LSU. That's who I compare Mikey Sainer still to. But to be honest, I, I think he might even be a little bit better with ball skills in something, some, some of those categories, but that's, that's who he reminds me of. And let's not forget for a while he was in the Tyran Matthew was in the Heisman conversation. And uh, I don't think Mike Sainer still is necessarily at that position, but uh, the way he impacts game, he's a game wrecker. And you don't find too many game wreckers at that nickel position. And not only that, but he didn't even play at his true nickel position today. There was quite a few times he split out wide. So um, the versatility, the consistency, uh, so much to like about what he does. And he's such a huge part of, of what, why our defense is so good. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and this was the night, too, where Will Johnson came into it questionable. But probably, again, there was a lot of tea leaves coming into this game that he wasn't going to play. Jesse Minner had said this week that they wanted to use this opportunity to get a few more guys at cornerback ready. And, and we saw Jaden McBurrows. We saw DJ Waller. Um, you know, we saw, I think Mikey played some boundary corner. I forget. There's a name that's escaping me right now. But, you know, they, uh, you know, they got some guys out there and they got them some reps and you know, we'll talk about what the college football playoff could look like here in a little bit. But, I mean, again, you know, only three sacks on the night. Uh, Braden McGregor had one. Jalen Harrell had one. Derek Moore had one. But it just felt like the pressure all night. You know, the second that Deacon Hill dropped back, there was someone or two guys or three guys in his face. And, and 
just uh, again, this is what it's supposed to look like when you face the worst offense in the power five or in the country period. It's also what it looks like when you got Uncle Rico playing quarterback for your offense as Cade McNamara's backup. Someone sent me that text, and I had to throw that in tonight's podcast when they said Uncle Rico was back there slinging it for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I had to laugh. Uh, but it is what it is. I, I got to give Kirk Ferentz and that coaching staff some credit because, to be honest, I don't know how you keep that team together. The dynamic that has to be between the offense and the defense. That defense is elite. Uh, they they – uh, play really sound football. They're very assignment sound. They're always in the right place. The The zone tendency that they have allows them to play very aggressively towards football. Um, that's a very good defense, and their offense is just abysmal. And it's just got to be so frustrating to be in that locker room and, you know, as a defense, hold teams to 12, 13, 14, 15 points, and they're not winning football games. So uh, it's got to be tough, but – you got to give a lot of credit to what Michigan's defense did because I thought today was a nice little showdown of two of the best defenses in college football, and Michigan by far and away was the better defense today. Yeah, and, and this is what we talked about coming off last week's game too: is that something about playing the Iowa Hawkeyes coming off of you know the last month, you know, the last week uh, of things that went on at Michigan, just with the emotions of the Ohio State game. This is going to be a team that by hook or by crook is going to test your discipline and your physicality. And I thought they did. I thought that Iowa did those things. Um, it's a team that didn't flinch. I mean, it was at the end of the game, it was a 26 zero Michigan win, but you know, it was, it was slow. It was plotting. It was methodical. Um, I try not to be too disrespectful, but Deacon Hill looks like a guy that won a contest to be Iowa's starting quarterback uh, off a cereal box or something like that. Turning the, the UPC code, but man, oh man, it's a, uh, that's what it's supposed to look like. Uh, let's clean up some super chats here. Uh, first one was from the Lost Angels, who said, "Will FSU make the playoff?" Um, I think they should. Again, we'll get into what the field might look like a little bit later, but based on what's going on around the country right now, Ryan, I mean, is is Florida State going to get in? I mean, is 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 there an argument to be made that the SEC is going to be left out of this completely? It's it's going to be really interesting. No, uh, they're going to play it up that they might or may not, but Florida State's not getting in. It'll be Texas. It'll be Bama as the other two. It'll be very hard for anyone to convince me otherwise that that's what's going to happen. They won't leave an SEC team out of there. Uh, Nick Saban's already been at the uh, podium after the SEC game uh, on his violin talking about how they should be one of the top four teams. So uh, Saban has spoken. They will be number four seed, and we'll probably see them first. So let's get it. Yeah, I mean, uh, he didn't have to go on Fox and grovel for a spot like last year. Uh, Cameron Stokes for a dollar ninety nine says great win, hoping they don't screw Florida State. Again, it kind of just feels like it's trending that way. And if you're going to try to get the best four teams in, I think that that's there's a conversation to be had. I don't envy the committee. Alabama winning this game today was a nightmare scenario for them, but that's not Michigan's problem. You got to go play and win whoever you play. Uh, our buddy Shane Johnson, four ninety nine, says Jim Harbaugh is the goat for letting Zach Zinter accept the trophy. F U Tony P. Mikey Sainer still heart and soul of the D legend. See you boys twice during the first eight days of January. Destiny is calling. Uh, what did you make of the post game ceremony, Ryan? Jim Harbaugh is a smooth operator, man. Uh, 
with all the buildup of what was going to happen with Tony Petiti having to present the trophy to Jim Harbaugh. And let's not think that Jim or that uh, Tony Petiti didn't see whoever the commissioner is of the big 12 when he had to provide the trophy to Texas earlier today with Texas leaving the SEC, the booze that were rained upon that man. And he tried to stand there and wait for them to, to, to silence and they never did. And he had a whole speech prepared that I think he had to scrap. So I bet you Petiti was sitting there like, shit, if I've got to do this, this is going to be a rough day. And uh, credit to Jim Harbaugh for being just a smooth guy. And you don't know what, I'm going to make this comfortable for everybody. I'm just going to send someone out there who deserves to be out there and deserves to be on the podium and makes it a feel good moment. And instead of taking his moment of rubbing Tony Petiti's face in it and seeing his tears and reflection on that silver trophy, he uh, he made it a moment for his team. And that just goes to show you and speaks volumes to the character of Jim Harbaugh and uh, not taking a moment to what everybody else would have done, which is rub their nose in it just a little bit. I'm debating whether I should bring this. You know, we're among friends. I'll say it. Um, I had heard buzz and it's not my scoop. So, I mean, credit where credit's due. Um, I had heard whispers that the plan was for Jim and Tony Petiti to be up there alone together. Uh, Obviously that didn't happen. Zach Sinter wound up being up there. Players end up wound up being up there. Um, I'm not sure, you know, if, if the proposed scenario was ever in play, but it would have been funny just face to face. But, Tony, again, I, I would love for someone who had a radar gun on him because he got out of there so quickly. I've never seen anything like it, uh, but hey, it kind of speaks for itself. If I could stand on a soapbox for just one second here, because something that not everybody knows about, but I just want to give uh, one specific finger, and I'm sure you can guess which one, to anybody that's part of the television broadcasting companies that put these podiums up after these these big wins, and they expect the team to respect what they their wishes are of, hey, we want just the captains up on the podium. Everybody else stay off. Don't get up on these podiums. They're not built to support you guys. Build them to support them, because they're going up there. They want a trophy. They deserve to be up there to deserve to have their time and shine who gives a shit what the broadcast looks like excuse my language it's just late but uh it, it bothers me because it happened to me and, and there's not a single player that doesn't get a, deserve an opportunity to get up on a podium when the confetti falls so i always hate when there's one of those situations pre-organized pre-arranged of who's going to be on the stage the winning team and their coaches will be on the stage there's nothing you can do about it well, all right. Uh, let's go to this one here from AM89 for 2620. He says, very happy with the defense and the classy decision to put Zinter out there for the trophy. Saying we're still speech too. One coach said he didn't care about culture, just wanted good players. We have both. Go blue. I mean, the last month or so has been culture and program affirming. I don't know. I mean, everything. This was Tony Petiti's worst nightmare. And we're here doing another one of these shows from high atop Lucas Oil. It's just a more consistent message. The more the, the more this team gets an opportunity to be in the spotlight, the more you understand that this team has no wavering, no fractures, no cracks. This is Jim Harbaugh's mother in a bathing suit, all in one piece, as he likes to say. So uh, this this team is very well put together, and I would I think Bama feels pretty strongly as a team right now. They're probably feeling themselves. Washington probably feels pretty strong, but um, as far as if you could measure and quantify togetherness, chemistry, those type of things, Michigan's got to be off the charts. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to take these two from Cameron Stokes, and then we will 
Sadly for some of you, move on to the offense, but it is a full game that we have to discuss. Uh, Cameron, his first one for 499 says, bye-bye Ohio State. I heard all week there's still a chance and they could backdoor their way in. Nope, after today, they're way down the bull pecking order. Um, a couple years ago, we were here. Uh, we went to St. Elmo's for dinner and we ran into an Ohio State fan that just kept their dinner reservation. Maybe it was, they couldn't believe that just, maybe if they just showed up to the stadium Saturday that Ohio State would still be there. And I will always remember our Clayton Safey telling the guy as we walked out, hey, enjoy your bowl game. Um, enjoy your Orange Bowl because there is no there was no path this year. Uh, last week was a playoff game, and Michigan won it. So uh, any thoughts on uh, – well, let's get to the second one from Cameron first. He says, would have loved to see us play a Pac-12 school in the Rose Bowl, but oh well, we'll take the one seat. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, thoughts on, on Cameron's two chats there. I really wanted to see the matchup with Washington and the Rose Bowl as well uh, moving into this weekend, but I got no issues with being a one seed. And to be honest, I feel like the top three and I think that fourth team is where everybody's kind of getting stuck as to who should be in that spot. But the top three teams are all going to be tremendously competitive this year, or at least that's my understanding. I don't think there's one team above the rest. I think that uh, there's going to be some really good football played here as we dwindle down into the the last four teams. So it doesn't really matter where we're going to be. My biggest thing is that we need to win a college football playoff game. Now we get into the zone or the the territory where Jim Harbaugh doesn't have these boxes checked. We don't have a win in the college football playoff. So um, regardless of who we get and where we play them, we've got to get that box checked and get this first college football playoff win and set us up to hopefully win the whole damn thing. Thank you, Cameron, and thank you to everyone for the chat so far. We will get to them, and we will take questions at the end like we normally do, but it is time for us to flip over to the offensive side of the ball in a game where, I mean, we'll call it what it was. It was ugly. 213 yards of total offense, 147 passing yards, only 66 rushing yards on the ground, um, three for 15 on third down. That's ugly. 3.3 yards per play. Um, You know, even with as ugly as that was, and again, I'm not necessarily going to single anyone out. Y'all watch the game, and I'm sure plenty of people will go back and rewatch the game. But it feels like you're a broken tackle here or a slipped, you know, JJ slips there or tight ends catching the football here from this being, you know, I I predicted uh, predicted it to be 38 to zero. And it felt like they were a couple plays away from that still being a reality, even with the effort uh, that was put forth. Tonight. And again, it wasn't lack of effort. It's just, again, Iowa is just so assignment sound. And if you don't bring your A game, they're going to stifle you a bit. And I think that's what we saw. And, and we saw a team that I think was still, um, I don't know, maybe some tired legs from last week, maybe some tired, just everything from the last few weeks. But, you know, once they go up 10-0, you never really feel like they're a threat. You know, I mean, that's that's ball game against a team like Iowa, but never really hit that last gear tonight. I mean, the two touchdowns they scored were set up by turnovers uh, deep into their own or into Iowa territory. I think – that's accurate that we didn't get into that last year, but I don't think we ever we ever shifted into that last year because of who we were playing. Know your opponent and what they're capable of and what they're not capable of. You get up by 10 points, 13 points on a team like Iowa. Traditionally, you're in the driver's seat for the remainder of the game unless you do something stupid and give their defense or their special teams some sort of big momentum swing that allows them back in the game. So as I see you know, and hear people talking about Michigan offense, this offense, that, well, one, 
we definitely dialed back the conservative meter because we were not going to throw them an interception, give them great field position on a punt return or something like that, and give them a short field to work with. So uh, I don't mind how conservative we were with the play calling. I also think, you know, as you got a lead, you don't want to get into the other side of the field and settle for field goals. But I think in a different game scenario where we're down, it's a tighter game, some of the things like that we probably end up going for it on fourth down in some of those situations. But uh, I don't have any issue with just continuing to pad onto the lead, a lead that should be extremely safe considering the opponent that you're playing. Um, uh, there's more chapters to the offense. I think that much is, we know that much uh, even without having seen it. And we didn't go to the deepest depths of the playbook because it wasn't necessary. And um, I don't think that you, there's nothing there's we know Jim Harbaugh is not out here for style points, but there's no style points that the committee needs to see either at this point. So uh, at, at, to, to what end would we need to have been more fancy and put more points up on the board? I, I just don't know what that would have done for us. I mean, to give people the warm and fuzzies, that's pretty much it. But at the same time, I mean, this is, I think Iowa, it's never a warm and fuzzies game, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's always going to be physical yards are going to, every yard's going to matter. Every possession is going to matter. Um, you know, they got, I mean, Tory Taylor's incredible. Maybe the best player on the field for either team uh, would have had, I mean, he did have my MVP vote for Iowa uh, if some kind of miracle happened, but yeah, I mean, this was never a game where they were going to empty out the bag of tricks. Um, Again, offensive line too, still figuring that out. Obviously, life after Zach Zinter is that is going to affect their ability to win a national title. I'm not saying they can't, but um, the offensive line is just it's not and it's still very good. Don't get me wrong, but you know when we're used to a team last year opening up, you know these running lanes that you could drive a semi through, and they're just not doing that now. And the backs aren't quite as explosive or breaking as many tackles. It's it's just kind of is what it is. Um, but when you look at just how this, you know, how this puts a stamp on Michigan's resume, you're favored by 22 and a half. You won by 26. You shut them out. You it's a win over a top 16 team. You have two top 10 wins. I don't think I think Washington's the only other team that has that. Um, so there might be a debate for number one. But I mean, again, I, you almost want. I don't want to say you wanted to see this going into this layoff, but there's a lot to clean up and. You know, for a thirteen and zero team, that's not always the case. But I think this next few weeks of preparing and getting healthy, especially for a guy like JJ, is is going to be huge. I think getting healthy will be huge, and I think one thing that works to our favor and our benefit is the leadership and the having been here before for the Blake Corum, JJ McCarthy, Mikey Sanders, still Roman Wilson, all the Trevor Keegan. These guys have, like we were talking about earlier, not had a successful outing in the college football playoff. And this is a different animal. You're not in your normal rhythm of game to game, week to week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that, that system is completely gone. Now, as you prepare for a bowl game, bowl preparation is totally different. Uh, so It'll be interesting to see how much these guys can grow and develop between now and when they play in their first game. And 
you know, where's the offensive line going to be at? Because protection was an issue again today. That's one thing I knew that we were going to talk about on the negative side of things was regardless of how good Iowa's defense was, we have to be able to protect JJ and we've struggled against good teams and we're going to find some pass rushers uh, in the college football playoff. You can bet that. So we've got to get better there. And then, you know, running the football, I don't think we had the worst day in the world, but it was not our greatest and we'd like to see more from there. So there's a whole lot of things, but to talk about some of the positives, Colston Loveland played well. He had one, one drop. Uh, I thought AJ Barner played well, one drop Cornelius Johnson. I thought our first down passing game, although it wasn't the most downfield and attacking uh, element to our offense, it finally gave us some balance on first down, which I thought that was really good and um, didn't see enough of Roman Wilson. I didn't think, but uh, overall I thought offensively we played better and played the game we needed to play than I think some people are probably giving us credit for in this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is from Cameron Stokes. He says, what did you guys think of the first turnover we got and Brian, Brian Ferentz's reaction? I'll let you have I mean, that one. Uh, the, the, the hand coming forward thing is so tough for me sometimes because in the sequence of throw, when you break it down in these slow motion cameras that we have nowadays in the, you know, whatever 60 foot frames per second, the elbow will be moving forward, but the hand doesn't move yet. And then the forearm's moving, but the hand's still not moving. And then all of a sudden the ball's hit and the hand's moving. Does the arm come forward? Is it the elbow moving forward? Is it the wrist? Where do we, it's to me, that's a tough call. And the only issue that I have with it, because I want to try and be as unbiased as I can in situations that permit it, the recovery aspect of that. So if you call it dead on the field and you call it an incomplete pass, the other 21, 22 guys are not pursuing that football. There's no reason to recover it. So for the refs to go back, and if I was an Iowa fan, the refs to go back and dictate or determine it was a fumble and then there was a clear recovery when the ball was not being pursued for a solid two, three real-life seconds, it's a tough call. It's a tough call to make. Do I think that it was a fumble? Yeah, I think it was a fumble. But because of the way the game is structured, because of the way the rule review is structured, I don't understand how they can give us that football. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to this one from Killer Panda, who says, uh, love the name, by the way, the lack of separation the receivers have concerns me. Can't be Alabama consistently going three and out and running into stacked boxes. Yeah, they, they need to be, I mean, they'll need to be a little more dynamic. But again, this was never a game where you were going to empty out the bag of tricks, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you also, in situations where it requires it, you throw the ball to a one-on-one -on -one cover guy and see if Roman Wilson can make a play. And I think you see maturity out of J.J. for not throwing some of those balls that he probably was tempted to throw into really good coverage, uh, you know, on some of those third downs. So that's something to keep in mind is I want JJ to hold that football in a situation where we're up by 10, 13, 16 against a team that can't score. So we can punt and give our defense a long field. I, I prefer that. Now if we're in a tie ball game. We're down by three trying to run a two minute drill, something like that. Then I want him maybe to make that throw. But um, I agree that we didn't have enough separation, but I also would challenge it with when you get to the highest level and you're playing against some of the best defensive backs, receivers have to make contested catches all the time. So receivers have to make contested catches. Quarterbacks have to make contested throws and good teams make those plays. And we didn't throw that ball because it wasn't necessary, but I believe we've got guys that one can throw it and two can catch it. 
kind of goes hand in hand with uh, Dave's $10 question here. He says, are they still protecting JJ? Are read options even in the playbook? It feels like they're setting stuff up, which is, is what they do. They've consistently done that. They did stuff all year to set stuff up for Ohio State. Um, you know, you want to put as many different looks on film as possible because you want teams to have to game plan and account for that. But um, I don't know that there were any designed, you know, keeps or read options. I just felt like everything they ran today was super vanilla. I would agree with you. And I, I, there was a couple in the second half. JJ finally pulled it on a read, I remember. And I think he even had a lead blocker on that particular play. Um, but to be honest, there's just times where he doesn't look like the most fluid r- runner. He thinks he's very elusive. And I don't think he's as elusive as he thinks he is. He does have great speed. And he is a mobile guy. But I think he needs to think of himself more like a Brock Purdy and a little bit less like a Lamar Jackson would be a better identity to assume as he plays the quarterback role, and especially when he runs. Um, but some of those things, if I was going to be critical of J.J. McCarthy's performance tonight, I thought there were some plays where he got out of the pocket and you know was staying on reads. And if he just ran for six yards and slid, he'd have the first down. And I love him extending plays, so I'm not going to sit here and complain about it too much, but uh, I do think that there are times where he could just take what the defense gives him in terms of his running and after you know, gaining 5-6, slide down and protect himself. Absolutely. Uh, any other thoughts on the offense tonight? Um, I mean, we'll talk about things that need to improve over the next X amount of weeks. We'll find out what the matchup is tomorrow, which it will inform a lot of what we know in terms of what needs to improve, but offensively tonight, um, I don't know if you, if I had to throw a grade on it, probably I hate to say it, probably D plus C minus. I mean, the two touchdowns, uh, uh, let me give someone their flowers. James Turner has been incredible. Uh, he's been so clutch. He made a lot of big kicks last week. He made all four of his field goals tonight. One of them, I think was 50. Uh, James Turner has been, no one's, no one's quite Jake Moody, but he's been a godsend. He has been. And offensively, I mean, the other thing we've got to talk about is the fact that we're taking care of the football and we're limiting our penalties. And that's something that there's so many teams out there that will beat themselves, not the good teams, but some good teams can can beat themselves in Michigan to this point has been able to avoid those mistakes. And uh, as much as you want to go out there and win football games. Sometimes it is about avoiding mistakes and Michigan has done a great job, not just tonight, but all year avoiding the big mistake and letting the other team make those. All right. I think that's going to do it for that section of it. I do want to discuss our friends over at Lewis jewelers, another proud sponsor of Michigan athletics. And of course of the Wolverine.com every client that walks through their doors, peruses the virtual store, is taken care of. They have a non-commissioned trusted advisor team that's always ready to provide professional experience, advice, and expertise. No pressure, no commission. They're located in the city limits of Ann Arbor. Lewis Jewelers is proudly serving the Ann Arbor and surrounding Southeast Michigan communities by providing an exquisite selection of fine jewelry as well as excellent customer service to its residents and visitors. Visit them at their new location, 300 South Maple Road, Ann Arbor, or online at lewisjewelers.com. We will go now to questions here. Um, And a lot of it has to do with this college football playoff field. I'll start with this one from Cameron Stokes earlier. He says, you cannot put Bama in without Texas. Right now, just give me who your top four would be. Michigan, Washington, Texas, Bama. Um, Okay. 
and, and what's the argument like to me i mean i don't envy the committee but it, it's pretty it's pretty i mean the florida state thing let's let's park there for a second why not florida state I say no Florida State because their last two wins have not been impressive, and we know they're down to at least their second, if not third-string quarterback. And you want to make sure that you put four teams in that are able to compete right now. And I would love to go back and say, yes, if we could take Week 10 Florida State, then maybe it's a different story. But that's not what we're – those aren't the cards we're dealt with. So uh, I also would say make an argument to me if you're a Florida State fan, who's your big win? I understand you're the ACC champion, but who's your big win? And, you know, how does that compare to a Texas that beat Alabama or an Alabama that beat Georgia? And I I don't know what you can stand on as an FSU win that is bigger than Bama's win over Georgia or Texas's win over Alabama. Sorry, it was muted there. Yeah, I, I've, you know, best four, they always seem to kind of mess with that criteria, how they see fit. I mean, it's it's just the best. I think that whoever plays Florida State would easily be a double-digit favorite, no matter who the matchup is. So, again, I don't know that, you know, they've earned their way, obviously, but um, to me, it's just you, you shut it, you put it to bed. Texas at three, Bama at four. It's kind of crazy that, you know, we're even having the discussion that the SEC could be shut out of this thing. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, Steve wants to know, is Michigan heading to the Rose Bowl? I do think that that's – I think that's a pretty strong possibility. If they are the one seed, they're going to have the – there's some confusion about if they have the ability to pick and choose where they go. But I'd have to think, like, if you're going to play Alabama – you're probably not advocating to go play at the Sugar Bowl where it's going to be a strong Alabama or SEC contingent. Bring them out west with you and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, if we get the choice, I wasn't sure how that worked out uh, because I've heard a little bit on both sides and I haven't had the opportunity to really dig into my sources here. But uh, I feel like if you have the option as Michigan and you're the one seed, you absolutely take the Rose Bowl, regardless really of who your opponent is. Um, Michigan Big Ten has a history in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Me personally, as a uh, player, I never got an opportunity to play there, but that would be one of the biggest goals you have as a player at Michigan. So if you hit the, get the option, pick Pasadena. I also am a little bit self-serving here because me and my wife's Christmas gift to each other is we're going to go to that first playoff game. So pick the Rose Bowl, please. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, I think that's where it's headed. Uh, and if you're someone that wants to get ahead of it on flights, uh, I shouldn't say this because you might affect my ability to get a flight. Might not be a bad idea to do it now while you have that 24-hour window to cancel, but again, teach their own. Uh, Let's go with – we will stick – I'll take this quick one from Shab Fam just because he asked to replace Nugent after he went down. I don't think he ever missed time, uh, but Greg Crippen was the next guy in the game. So as far as what the depth chart looks like, that's where it's at there. Um, Let's go to this one from – We'll clean up this one from Cameron for 499. He says, we sort of hit on this earlier, but what can Michigan actually do to improve? We have a whole month. Do we implement new plays? How do we practice and prepare for the bowl game? What's your metric for improvement? That would be my question to you, Cameron, because you've been a big-time listener and always coming in with Super Chats. But I have to pose that question because – we're winning football game. You just want to win by bigger margins. You want to have more touchdowns and 
don't know if you're going to have less scores, but uh, I mean, that's, I only ask it to play devil's advocate because I think the same thing, but then again, you're 13 and no three time champions. Uh, we, we're going to get better at what we do and what our identity is. But if you think Michigan's going to come out and JJ McCarthy's going to throw for 600 yards and six touchdowns because we threw some new plays in, that's not the recipe. That's not, that'd be off base. It'd be off schedule. And I wouldn't personally at this point, wouldn't want that because I'm all the way bought into this current identity of physical, tough run game. First defense, smash you in the mouth, play clean football. That's what Michigan is. Yeah. Um, I guess, I'll step into Cameron's shoes for a second here and, and maybe even reframe the, reframe the question a bit is that, you know, given that they have had a lack of postseason success, even take the playoff out of it, but the last two years being what they have been the last several years, not winning a bowl game since 2015, have you seen anything? I mean, obviously it's tough to say without being in the building, knowing what the guys have, have put in, but you know, is there anything, that you can draw on as a former player to think, to kind of rack your brain around how to overturn these postseason, we'll call them woes, because it's been, you know, it's been eight years. It's a long time. Oh, well, I think one thing that's going to benefit this team tremendously is all the distractions that they've had to kind of suffer through as this, scene, this season has developed. That's one of the hardest things, I think, is to maintain your momentum and maintain the degree and intensity at which you practice with, because it's almost like, when do you turn it all the way on? Because you're not going to turn it on next week because you've still got three, four weeks before game week, but then it's the following week. And then you go, what, 75% or do you go 85% or, and then you go the next week and it's not exactly how it goes, but there's an idea there. It gives you an idea of what the rhythm is. It's, it's how do you ramp up to play your best football in a month when you know, the only other time you're in that situation is when you go to fall camp and you have it's August and your first game is in September. Uh, so it's just a weird situation and position to be in. But I'm really looking towards the leadership and, and the guys that have been here before. And you at the very least have a recipe for what not to do. And sometimes that's just as good as a recipe for what you should be doing. So uh, I have no doubts that when it comes to the preparation and the focus and intensity of these guys for this first playoff game, whatever, whoever it may be against and wherever it may be, they are going to be dialed in. They're going to be locked in. I have no doubts. Yeah. And so often too, I mean, we may have talked about this after the TCU game, but you know, it's hard to win. It's hard to win at this level. You look, look at a school like Clemson, even Alabama to a certain extent had to kind of go through those ups and downs before you finally broke through. And it's tough to do that. And in my opinion, it's not an opinion. I mean, it's fact here that the best teacher is failure. The best motivator is failure. And the fact that this group has so many of those guys coming back, this group has, you know, a core of guys that have been through a lot, both on and off the field now. And again, no one's turning them into the victim. Uh, some of the stuff that's happened is of their own design of their own doing uh, from people inside the program. But Again, their goals still very much ahead of them. Two big ones down, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten. But like we've said before, like there are bigger fish to fry. And, you know, I don't think we're going to see J.J. McCarthy talking about how their playoff game is going to be a smash fest this year. I don't think we're going to see players with their chest puffed out. We haven't seen that all season long. It's been a group that really doesn't body one day at a time, one play at a time. 
you know, what practice at a time. And I think that they'll get healthy, but uh, I, I think that they'll just continue to kind of try and maximize that. And you'll see what happens. And you can play great and still lose, but don't beat yourself. I think that's the biggest key moving forward. Uh, this one's from AM89. who says, I thought D plus for the offense, but I am honestly a little bummed to hear you agree. I was hoping for a C plus B minus performance against a good to great D. What is it about this Iowa defense that, you know, they're not, they, they have not been turning teams over at the rate that they usually do. Uh, obviously, some injuries, Cooper DeGene, their best player, out, not playing in this game. But what is it about the way that Kirk Ferentz coaches them that makes them such a tough out and so tough to move the ball against? I think they're very good tacklers. Uh, they, they do the fundamental things very, very well. Uh, they're very good tacklers. It's something that stood out to me almost immediately is that the leaky yardage just wasn't there. Blake Corum famous for many things, but one of which is getting hit at the line of scrimmage and finding a way to get four or five, six yards. And that was not there, not available today because of the way that the Iowa team tackles. Um, I thought another thing that they do really, really well is play their zone defenses. They mentioned that a little bit in the broadcast, but a lot of teams play zone defenses, but I think one of my biggest issues with zone defense is you'll see guys that understand that they have hook curl and hook curl is this designated area. You could highlight it on a football field, but sometimes there's no receivers in that hook curl zone. So there's no benefit to guarding grass. And I feel like that's where teams run into issues is they'll allow their guys to guard grass or they won't coach them to change your zone dependent upon what the offense is doing, what their routes are, what their formation was pre-snap, things like that. And I think Iowa does a really good job of communicating what's the formation, what are the potential routes that come out of this, how does our zone get impacted by those routes, and where's the best place for me to be positionally, and then they get there and their eyes are on the quarterback. Uh, so I think when it comes to zone defense and the way that they play their coverage specifically, I think Iowa does it at a very high level, maybe the highest level in all of college football. I have one more, another one here from Cameron Stokes. This is at worst, we will be in Oklahoma, an elite program with playoff shortcomings, not trying to be negative. Yeah. And again, I, I mean, if that's what the floor is, that's certainly different than what the floor has been uh, prior to this three-year stretch. But uh, the only thing I can really say to that is the last chapter is, because it does feel like a last chapter. This feels like, a last dance in a lot of ways. Um, so again, I don't know what that looks like. The, the story is still not completed, still not written yet, but uh, there's a lot to push through. And a lot of, a lot of the biggest fish to fry yet of any of these narratives they've killed. It's, it's what comes next that will ultimately define what this three year stretch, you know, built up to. And that's, I feel like why I'm so excited and the Michigan fan base is so excited to see where this goes from here, because everything this team has talked about has come to fruition and there's been a lot of deterrence or potential deterrence that have come their way that have to do and have nothing to do with football. And, um, the, I would argue that aside from maybe Georgia and then, like I said, Alabama, but I don't know preseason that there was a team that had such concentrated focus on the college football playoff and the, the, the way they wanted to prepare and how, how they wanted to approach this season. So um, I'm excited. These guys have been goal driven, motivated one track mind, and there's one month and some change left to bring it all home. 
I want to get one more in here from Cameron uh, because I like I like how this one ends. He says this has to be the best team in terms of takeaways from a Michigan team in years. People don't seem to fully comprehend the number of turnovers they have this year. Something I thought was interesting that Jesse Minter said earlier this week is that in the offseason they watched they watched Iowa and the way that they generate turnovers and the way that they set up they immediately go to setting up blocks to try and score or you know flip the field and things like that. Um, the way this defense is played. And, and this is a good place to maybe segue into the playoff talk before we close out this show. The way this defense, this defense, I will put this defense on the field against any offense in the country, and they are going to give you a puncher's chance to win the football game. More than a puncher's chance, maybe. Defense wins championships. Everybody says it. You know, I mean, if you think about it, I think still to this point, Ohio State, it's not even an argument that they're the best off- offense we've seen this year in person. And even in Ohio State offense, with our best corner on the sideline, we held to 24 points. And, uh, you know, I I would love to match up against Washington. Honestly, I, I don't care about any of them. Washington, uh, Texas, I'd love Florida State. Don't think it's going to happen, but I'd love to match up with Florida State uh, in that first playoff game. But Try and score 30 on Michigan. I feel like any other team, there's a chance you can hang 30 on them. There's one team in this country that you will not or you do not think you probably could hang 30 on. And if you had to pin that team, pin that team to attack board, it would be the University of Michigan Wolverines because this defense is legit. It's serious. It, there's so many facets of this defense that are unique. And I, I think it's not just a little bit better than everybody else. I think it's a lot of bit better than everybody else's defense. Thank you, muted. Mr. Dave here uh, with a super chat, or not a super chat, just a comment here, but I liked it, so I brought it up. He says the committee's job is to start with a clean slate and pick the four strongest teams. Who beat who? Previous rankings don't matter. Yeah, I mean, when they meet tomorrow morning, or they're probably meeting now, an award manual is in Texas with them watching all these games. You do kind of start with the dust settling, and you got to put the four best teams and the four best resumes in there. And I want to do a little bit of an exercise real quick. Um, Let's just say, hypothetically, Florida State gets in. They're the fourth seed. Texas or Alabama? Like, who? You may have addressed this already, but it's late, and I'm out of caffeine. But who has the, you know, if you're deciding between those two teams, who gets in? It has to matter that you lost heads up. It has to. So it's got to be Texas. Um, it's not only – not only – I want to get my facts straight. Someone will correct me. But who – where was it and what was the deficit? I believe it was at home in Alabama, and I believe they lost by 9 or 10. It was 34-24. 34-24, and where was the location? Tuscaloosa. Yeah. So, Bama, you lost at home by double digits to the team that we're debating whether you or them – Easy choice. I don't know how you can justify that. I don't know that it will be so easy for them um, because you're you're staring down the possibility of, especially given that you know it's ESPN, it's college football, the college football playoff, leaving an SEC team out. When even the conversation Saturday was, well, maybe you get two teams in. It's going to be fascinating. Um, again, if if you're Michigan, yeah, you probably want to see a Florida State. Well. Uh, Here's a proposal because I haven't heard this one yet, but if you're just to consider it, if you're going to consider the top five conferences in college football this year or four conferences in college football this year, who would your top four conferences be? Big 10, SEC, Pac-12, and then it's either the Big 12 or the ACC. 
So it's either between Texas or Florida State. Those are the only options. The SEC is in because they are one of the best conferences in college football. Their champion gets in. That yeah. Even if you just look at it from that blanket statement, to me, it's obvious that an SEC team's getting into this playoff. Don't don't kid yourself. Yeah, and it'll it'll be Alabama. Um, but again, you know Texas is one loss on a neutral field rivalry game, close game. I think it was. It, I mean, their loss. It's just so it's so fascinating because the debate. You know, we don't often have the head to head result that comes into play with the non conference in that debate. So, I don't envy the committee. But guess what? It doesn't really matter because Michigan's in. Michigan's punched its ticket. One seed, two seed, who cares? College football playoff, no place for a nervous person. You have the maybe the best defense in the field. I think probably the best defense in the field. And you see what happens and you go from there. Uh, have one last super chat that we'll take here from the Big Show Entertainment Network. He says, how can you leave an undefeated Florida State out? And number two, how can Michigan not be number one? I heard a dumb commentator say Washington should be number one. That's outrageous. Yeah, I mean, we laid it out earlier. I mean, a, a top top 16 win, you know, where you win 26-0. I don't care who the other team was. I don't care what the stats say. Like, you have two top 10 wins and a top 16 win in a conference title game. I, I think they will be number one. My my argument has now been reduced. I'm all in on my best four conference, power five conference champions, best four are in. Florida State is the fifth. So unfortunately, you're the first one out. I think the ACC is the fifth strongest conference in college football. First one's out. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end, Brian. Um, the next time that we talk will be New Year's Day somewhere. It'll be New Orleans. It'll be L.A. We'll see what happens. But um, again, I wanted to thank everyone for following along with us. And we've had a lot of night games this year. I think we wound up having six regular season plus Big Ten championship game night games. So thank you for, for staying up with us. Uh, thank you uh, to our producer, Nick, behind the scenes. Uh, thanks to everyone for the generous super chats, all of those types of things. Uh, for Ryan Van Bergen, I'm Anthony Broom. Be sure to check out TheWolverine.com for more uh, from Indianapolis. A lot of coverage coming out. We'll be burning the midnight oil. You can use the promo code UM1 to get two months of access for $1. That's only for our YouTube subscribers. So uh, head on to the description below for that. Be sure to leave a like, subscribe to the channel, and we will talk to you in the college football playoff. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.